Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolton here. So good to have you here with us for another awesome episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, one of the best parts of TSL is working with our students. Like day in, day out, we've literally helped thousands of students to build and grow their speaking business and to share their message with the world. And I am thrilled that you have the opportunity to hear from some of them during our monthly student highlight series. Because one of the things you're going to find is their stories are going to offer really insight and, and hope no matter where you are in your speaking career. We're going to talk about exactly what they've done, how they've built their business and some of the results that they're seeing. And so for this series, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to hand the mic to one of our coaches who are in the trenches every single day, helping our students to gain the confidence, the clarity, and that clear path that they need to their very own speaking success. I know you're going to love hearing from and learning from these students. So uh, let's get right into it. Enjoy. everyone. So glad to be here with you today on the Speaker Lab podcast. My name is Mary Alice Goldsmith. It is a true honor to have the opportunity to introduce you to some of our amazing students. I promise you're going to learn so much from their experiences and be inspired by their perseverance and success. Today, it's my privilege to be with Anne-Marie Anderson from California. Welcome, Anne-Marie. How are you? Thank you. I'm well. I'm excited to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to share your story and, and just have you inspire some of our students. We started this podcast from our students asking, you know, we want to hear from the everyday folk. We want to hear from people like us. It's great to hear from these speakers who are making seven figures, six figures, but we want to hear from people who are working the course and really putting it into action. And my word, have you been doing that, girl? <laughs> so I'm hey, excited. <laughs> I'm just doing what you told me to, and it's working. Yeah, well, I mean, we could probably end the podcast right there, but we won't. We'll expand on that a little bit. Um, so I would love for you to just kind of start with, like, what led you here? You know, you've had such a colorful career. Um, you're successful. Uh, you have been doing some speaking. So what led you to, to wanting to be a speaker? I had been dabbling in speaking, as you said. I'm a sports broadcaster, and I had been doing some MC work and a little bit of keynote and commencement work, but I, I wanted to make it a bigger part of my career and I never knew how, how to do that. I, I feel like through my career, I've been able to speak and formulate things decently, but for me to level up and actually pursue work and have it be a viable part of my full picture career, I needed some coaching and I found that in the speaker lab. Yeah, I think it's always interesting. Like people say, what's your, your client avatar? And I'm like, gosh, we have, 
you know, I, I think if we had to narrow it down to one single thing, it's people who really want to build a business, but we have seasoned speakers like yourself. We have speakers who have never stepped on stage who really want to be there. And so I love how there's such diversity in our, in our student body. So you joined our virtual cohort with um, Eric Ream as the facilitator. What were some of the, maybe like, what was, what was your number one goal Maybe we'll start there in terms of joining the cohort because there's other options, right? You didn't have to just do the cohort. So what was your number one goal for wanting to join the cohort? Well, I, I'm not sure that I am a seasoned speaker, at least in terms of keynotes and MC work. I can speak, right? I speak on television for a career. So I part of my goal in joining the cohort was accountability. I work really well, Mary Alice, with accountability. If I have an appointment with a trainer at the gym, I show up. If I don't, I don't go. So I knew that I needed that accountability. I wanted to um, have kind of step-by-step instructions. And I've worked a lot, as it turns out, with the other members of my cohort. We've had plenty of conversations. We've had some side Zooms trying to cheer each other on or work out problems. I work best within a team. I think that's probably my sports background as well. So I went virtual VIP for that reason. In part also because I do travel a lot for work. I wanted to see what was available to me in terms of virtual options. So coming from your broadcasting background, I know that kind of has seeped in. Well, it actually has really inspired you to take that into your speaking career. So tell us what you speak about. So after 30 years in sports broadcasting, I've been in the locker rooms and the meeting rooms of some of the most successful coaches in sports. And I've observed people like Phil Jackson, Becky Hammond, Pete Carroll, who have worked with individuals and not try to stamp out their individuality, but really embrace what's different about them. So I have kind of molded that into a keynote speaking, uh, keynote speech called The Shape-Shifting Leader, How to Weave Individuality into a Powerful Group Culture. And I rely a lot about the things I learned in uh, those locker rooms and meeting rooms and can relate it to corporate leaders uh, and other business leaders just having watched those coaches work. Yeah. I mean, you're a great example of like, sometimes your, your next best or, or your speaking career is right under your nose, right? It's based on experience and, and what you've been doing, you know, more importantly, I'd love to know what was going on in those locker rooms. What did you see in those locker rooms? I can't imagine. Yes. A lot. I saw a lot of human dynamics too. You know, sometimes, sometimes you'd see the superstar that everybody loves, but they would be alone because the guys on the team did not like him uh, or her and they would want to stay away from them. I saw great team camaraderie. I saw people have terrific boundaries. If For some of the superstars, if you weren't there on time to ask them a question, they would give this window. You show up a minute late, they'd say, I'm done. So um, that was it. And that's, that's one of the topics I talk about. And the other one is your next best move and knowing how and when to make a personal shift. And I think that's really what I've done with the speaking career when I think about it, just as you and I are talking. I've always tweaked my career a little bit, kind of consistently to keep me interested. So I was a a production assistant first, and then I became a producer at ESPN. And then after a while, working my way up through ESPN, a bureau producer, field feature producer, I decided I want to go in front of the camera. So I was a sideline reporter, then decided I wanted to go to the game table as an analyst, then play-by-play. All these little shifts 
that have really allowed me to be engaged with my career. And that's part of why I went to speaking as well, was keeping that sweet spot, that part where I'm always interested and learning. And so um, your next best move, knowing how and when to make that professional shift is another thing that I talk about. And again, both of my topics come directly from my experience working for ESPN and other networks. You're, you're touching on something that's so powerful and important. I think, you know, another thing that is very um, consistent with our student body is this permission to go for it, right? And so you're talking about this sweet spot and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's that moment where you're like, I'm really good at this. It fires me up. I see how it fires other people up. Like I need to lean into this. And in that critical moment, you could either give yourself permission to do it, or you could go through the, Oh, not now, not me. I shouldn't do it. I'm not that good, you know, type of thing. So was this like just something natural that you had, or is this something that you learned from those locker rooms or something you've been working on your whole life where you give yourself that permission to, to lean into that sweet spot and make that shift? I'll tell you, uh, kind of going deep a little bit, Mary Alice, early in my career, I was 21 years old working at ESPN, and there was someone that I had worked for as an intern who was 37 years old, and he got the dream job at ESPN. I was a producer and a production assistant. He was going to be the next big sports center anchor. And uh, six days into his job, he hadn't even been on air yet. He came into the office, and he passed away very suddenly in the office. He had been married a year, um, super fit and healthy. I mean, just something nobody ever saw coming. And I decided at that moment that if you could be 37 and very fit and newly married and starting your dream job and have everything go away that quickly, that I was not going to wait for anything. And I think he really, his name was Peter Rogat. And I, I think he really shaped my life in that way that I have since that moment always said, why not me? I've never said, why me? I've always said, why not me? And so I don't know that I was good at speaking. I just thought I can be good at speaking if I work at it and I get the proper coaching. And so that's, that's the way I've approached my entire professional career. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. And we all have stories like that. We all have those pivotal moments in our lives where something taught us a a really important lesson and we either capitalized on it or we missed it, you know, (laughs) and then life shows up again and tries to teach you the same lesson. And, you know, it's, it is a, it is a, um, it's a calling to, to like, wake up, like wake up to your life and stop putting things on the back burner. Stop saying maybe one day, or maybe I could, or maybe I shouldn't, you know, stop with all of that nonsense because that's just time wasting energy. Um, you know, we were on a call today with a student who, um, was struggling, you know, and it happens because there is a little bit of imposter syndrome that comes into this, right? It's like ego rears its ugly head and says, who the heck do you think you are doing this? Get out right. of here. You know, you yeah. need to go, you need to go in the, you go back into your little box and yeah. stay safe. Right. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's those of us who have learned those lessons who are, who really do. And I think it's that you learn the lesson, but then there's also this deeper, uh, knowing that I might fail miserably, 
but I'm going to go for it. I'm going to have the audacity to go for it because I know it's going to make me a better person, no matter how it shakes out. So where do you get that? Like my mother-in-law would call it chutzpah. Where do you get that from to be like, you know what? I'm going to go for it because again, you learn that lesson from that horrible experience, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody has the, the chutzpah to go for it. So where do you get that? I know chutzpah very well. Well, again, television, as you know, television, acting, all this, it's a rejection heavy business. And, uh, I used to be thin skinned for sure, but after 33 years in sports television, I've got, uh, plenty of no's. And I literally just talked myself through it saying, when I hear no, I hear not yet. And I, that, that phrase is very prominent in my office. I have it up in different places. I've written about it before. No means not yet to me. And maybe it means not this particular opportunity. Um, I just, the chutzpah comes from, I would love to say it comes from my mom, but my mom has asked me that same question. Like, where did this come from? I don't know. Maybe it's being the, the fifth kid with four older brothers and the only girl where, you know, I can remember being six years old. You know how they say like your, your childhood memory, your first memory is so powerful. And mine is when I was six years old, I was with my family at church and uh, they were signing up to be altar boys, my brothers. And so the priest said, everybody go down the aisle and tell me your name and why you want to be an altar boy, your age. And so Ed went, Dan went, Steve went, Gary went, and I stood up and I said, at six, my name is Anne-Marie and this and that. And they laughed. And I was like, yo, I, I really remember this at six. And they were like, you can't be an altar boy. And I was like, why not? And they were like, well, girls can't do that. And I'm like, oh, mm, okay, well, we're not having that. And I remember at a very young age, demanding that I wanted to have everything that my counterparts in this place, my brothers had. And so I just keep going. Yeah. I love that. That's great. I'm the youngest of seven too. And I think there is something there. There's, there's like survival when you're the yeah. youngest of that large of a family. Like if you even want to get one word in or yeah. a glass of milk at the dinner right. table, you have to have a little chutzpah. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're chippy. I look at my daughter because I have three kids, two boys, and then my younger daughter and the boys are like, why is she so aggro? I'm like, because she's over it. And they're like, she's 10 and she's over it. She is over it. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, it's great. But it is it is really important. I think um, anyone, you know, speaking is an entrepreneurial a journey. And so for anyone to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this. You do have to have that audacious mindset. Um, and I love the, the, the no, um, meaning not yet, you know, because when you do get a, a no, that means there's a yes and maybe a better yes waiting for you, uh, a more appropriate and in alignment type. Yes. Um, and that's something that we get here a lot. Like we, ha we get a lot of students who, once they get to that module four and they're starting to do their reach outs, yep. they're getting a lot of no's or worse, no responses. Right. So what kind of advice would you have for those students who are at that module? Um, they had the audacity to, to invest in this program and to say, I'm going to be a speaker. And now they're at that place where there's more no's than yeses or more ignores than responses. What do you say to them? You remember when we were younger, the guy at the bar who asked out like a million women, hoping that one would say yes. 
be that guy, right? Like just be the guy who is like, hey, you want to go out? You want to go out? You want to go to the movies? You want to go to dinner? Oh, yeah, you do? Awesome. Let's go. Like be the guy who doesn't just hone in on, you know, one opportunity. And um, yeah, so I... It literally doesn't affect me anymore, Mary Alice. It, when I hear the no, I want to know why so I can get better, come back in. Um, but I, for me, at this point, it becomes a little bit of a game. So if they're saying no, just move on. If you can get some information in terms of why they're saying no, super helpful. Find out. Is it your speaking topic isn't appealing? Is it something about your approach? Are you asking for too much money, not enough money? You know, if you can get information um, and just data points to make yourself better, do that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't attach to it too much. I, you know, Mary Alice, I, I relate it back to when I was trying, when I first moved to Los Angeles and I was trying to get in with a certain network that I hadn't worked with before. And I interviewed and uh, the man said, no, he didn't want me. And then I would see him around for the next two years. We'd be at the same sporting events. And every time I saw him, because I didn't care, I was already, you know, ready to accept no. I, every time I saw him, I would say, is today the day? Today the day you're going to hire me? And he would say, no. And he had this curious smile. No, today's not the day. And literally every time I saw him, I'd be like, hey, boss, today the day? And he'd say, no. <laughs> and he'd just kind of laugh. Two years later, he came up to me and said, today's the day. I'm like, is it now? And he said, yep. And I ended up working for them for years. Wow. Like, you know, you, I didn't take it personally, right? I didn't avoid him. I didn't everything. I, I made a joke at it today, the day, you know, and he came back with, hey, you know what? Actually, today's the day. He had an opportunity. He thought of me because I had kept on the radar. And I think that's one of the things that Eric Ream had, had taught me that, you know, if you don't get it this year for a certain conference or whatever, come back around the next year and ask again. And that really speaks to me because maybe this timing wasn't right. Maybe your talk topic was off. Maybe you've gotten way better, hopefully, in a year from now. So just keep coming back around. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, the emotional attachment part is so critical. It's not a no because they don't like you or you're not worthy, right? Right. We have to really really shake that. And I know in the moment there's like maybe a little sting, but if you could really create some mindset work around that, like, okay, this is great. That means there's another opportunity waiting for me and I need to nurture that because I think what, what, what happens, I know what happens is they get so emotionally attached that it drains their energy that to keep working the pipeline is really challenging. It's really challenging because when you're emotionally invested in the no you're not seeking or fishing for more yeses because you're still attached to this no. And so there's, there's such a, um, it's such an energy drain when you, when your energy goes towards the no versus, okay, I'll come around next year, but now I have thousands of other people that could potentially say yes. And so that shift is so critical when you're working, working the pipeline. I don't want to pretend like it came easily. Like, I don't want to pretend like I was just born with, you know, no means not yet. There were plenty of times that I laid down and I cried and uh, I just ended up getting back up. I, my, my son, my oldest son, who's uh, 18 and going off to college, talked about that, that how many times he has seen me be rejected and be upset, but then move on and either get that job or a better job or whatever. And he said that really, he was just telling me the other day, it was part of my, his birthday card to me 
was um, how that has impacted the way he looks at things. And I think, wow, I didn't even know he was watching that. But uh, yeah, and so it wasn't something that came easily. And it's not like I wasn't affected early on by the nose. It's just that I think at this point, I know there's, there's something else. There's another opportunity. Yeah. Well, not only are our children watching and not only do they pick up the energy that we're putting down, so are event planners. And I know that sounds a little dramatic, but it's true. If oh, you yeah. come off of a call and you get a no and you don't get into that mind frame of confidence and yes, and I am worthy, that next event planner will pick up on that. Yep. 1000%. Thank, Thank you. Next. That's what it's got to be. Thank you. Next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So true. So I know you've been so diligent. Um, you know, we started the podcast and you're like, I just followed what you told us to do, you know, oh, and, yeah. and, and you really have been such an excellent straight A student. <laughs> well, thank you. I was not a straight A student in school, so I'll take your straight A's. <laughs> Tell your mom you got straight A's with the speaker exactly. lab. Um, but I, you know, you and I have spoken before, but, uh, what are some of the things that when they were taught to you, you were like, Oh, I'm doing this. This is, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing it. You know, what are some of those things that you just implemented and saw some major results? Well, I already talked about how accountability is everything to me, right? If I have an appointment or if Eric Ream gave me a homework assignment, I mean, you could ask Eric, I turned that sucker in as soon as I could. Um, I was not going to be last on that. I'm a little competitive. And so when he, Eric taught me the pipeline, that's just straight accountability, right? I get up and there's something that I have to do today. There's a little yellow thing that says, or red, that says, I need to do that. And so I would do it immediately. And what I ended up doing was creating a power hour first thing in the morning before the kids get up, before my TV work takes over, um, where it is just speaking. And I don't do anything else. I don't answer emails. I don't do anything not related to speaking. And I ended up kind of dividing that up into a lot of prospecting. And then once I started getting work, which came pretty quickly, honestly, I, I put the other half of that hour into crafting, just taking care of, you know, either this, the event itself or maybe the contracts for the event or such. But I think the pipeline was a big part of it. And then I really love on the website, the templates for the emails and all of that, I still refer back to those. And I, I delivered a contract yesterday to somebody and I went back and was looking back again at how they worded things and how it is. And, you know, I, I rely heavily upon those. I mean, it's all laid out for you. That's what's amazing to me is that it's laid out for you. If they don't respond to you, then you send this email this many days later. If they do respond to you, then you do this. You know, if they book you, then you ask for the post-event call at the same time. You know, it's, it's the pipeline and the exacting nature of here is what you say. And when you say it is right up my alley. And that's where I'm just a good little soldier following along. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have really taken the, the, the steps, the tasks, the homeworks. And I mean, you like for real took it to a whole new level. And so, um, just so people can hear, because, you know, we tell them all the time. 
but we love when our students speak it for themselves. What has been, you know, some of the results that you've been getting? And and for those who don't know, who may not be students yet that are listening to this, when we refer to the pipeline, we're talking about your customer relationship management tool where you'll put all your leads in and you'll send emails and have, you know, an ongoing conversations with that pipeline. Just want to put that out there. Sure. And it's like a monopoly game for them. Just so you know, you move it over. Like when, you know, when you talk to them, when they respond to you, you move it over to contact made. And then when you talk to them again on the phone, a phone call. And I, I really loved that and the percentages that it would give you of the likelihood that you're going to land that deal and the, the possible incoming money and just all of those data points. And then it's so satisfying when you push it all the way to the end, past contract negotiations, and you hit the little one button and it gives you, you know, balloons and it puts it into, and then you've got data there. Here's how many deals you had. Here's how many that went through. Here's deals that you lost. And um, here's why you lost them. I, I found that to be really helpful too. I was like, okay, I may be pricing this one a little bit wrong. Yeah, no, that's, that's, gold right there. Right. Because especially like if you're a competitive person, like for me, totally competitive like yourself. So that would totally jazz me to get in there every day and just see all the different things that are happening. It's like a scoreboard right on your computer. <laughs> right. And we're competing with ourselves. Totally. Like there's nobody, there's nobody sitting next to me at four 30 in the morning, uh, looking at that thing. Although sometimes I'll, I'll call my oldest son over and be like, look at this. And he'll be like, I know. Okay. I know. And <laughs> no, that's so, great. Yeah. It's great. So you've been doing some, you've been closing some deals and, and speaking. And so what does that, what does that feel like now that you've invested in yourself, you invested the time into the program and the, the fruits of your labor are like really showing some results. So talk to us about that. Yeah. I, I decided, uh, when I invested, right. Cause it is an investment that the first milestone I wanted to reach was, uh, getting my investment back. I wanted to get enough speaking engagements to cover the cost of the speaker lab. And I was able to do that fairly quickly. And it was a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, And one of the things that Eric said early on was, okay, now we're going to start reaching out, reach out to people that you've talked to before, even if you didn't get the gig. And I had in my head, somebody who had asked me uh, to do uh, some MC work last year. Somebody had recommended, Hey, I think Amory will do that. And she asked me at a time where I was going to a friend's 50th birthday party. And I have had such a disease of always like work over personal life that this one time I said, you know what? I can't, I'm obligated. And I went to my friend's uh, event, which was out of town. It was a great time, but I lost that event. And so as soon as Eric said that, I reached out to this woman again. And I had to dig to find her number because I didn't have the customer relations management tool all set up, you know. So that was the first person I reached out to and said, hey, I'm sorry. And I used exactly what Eric said. Sorry, I wasn't able to do it for you last year. I'm wondering how did it go? You know, would you have any this year? And she said, you know what? I didn't really enjoy the person that we had last year. I'd be interested in having that conversation. Yeah. And we talked for a bit and she said, yes, we'll use you for that in May. And I said, great. And then before we hung up, I said, are there any other events that you have that you think I might be for a good fit? She said, well, yeah, we actually, in a month, have an event. Could you do that? And I was like, well, yes, I can. And, um, for a small fee, sure. There, there it is. And um, yeah, so 
I went back to the contract. Like I was, I was taking Grant's contract and putting my name in everywhere and putting my logo in and sent it over and, you know, asked for a 50% deposit and I'll be damned. There's a 50% deposit right there. <laughs> Just came and booked. And so after that, that gave me some confidence, like, holy cow. He said, reach out to people in the past. I reached out to her. She hired me for that. Then he said, ask if there's anything else. I did that. She hired me for something else. And so then I had those two and did those. And then somebody else threw my name in somewhere. And, and they said, you know, they told us that you do this, but they also said, you don't do it for free. And I was like, no, I do not. And so they offered me and I was like, yes, I'll do that. And then once I promoted those two, somebody else who I knew through work called me and said, can you do this? And I said, you know, that's what I do. Right. And he's like, yes, I know. That's why that, that's what you do. That's why I'm calling you. And I thought, Mary Alice, I'm a professional speaker now. Like, this is what I do. And I need to stop saying, yes, that's one of the things I do. I, that is what I do. And it's just gone from there. And so it's been fabulous to have them. And they're all a little bit different, those events. I'm setting up my personal coaching calls uh, coming up because a keynote that I have coming up in January, they want something a little different than what I've done. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's work on that. And I have the coaching through the speaker lab in order to help me do that. If I'm, if my memory corrects me and correct me if I'm wrong, um, didn't you sign up in September? I signed up like the last week of August. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and we're recording this, it's December 1st right? and here you are. So that's like September, October, November, three months you've been at this. Right. And I more than doubled my investment more than doubled. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. It's so, well, it's not unbelievable. I shouldn't say that. It's very impressive because, you know, we, we can't drive it home enough that it works when you work it. Now, of course, every industry is different, you know, sure, but it works when you work it. And here's the thing, why that tip works so well to just say, hey, is there anything else I can help you with? What people don't realize is these event planners are busy. They're, it's like, think about putting on multiple events a year, all the little intricacies that are involved with putting on an event. It's not just like, oh, show up and it's wonderful. Like from the napkins to the cups that you're drinking out of to all the things, they are so busy. And so when they have a speaker that's easy to work with, wants to do more speaking, is reliable, pleasant, speaks well. I mean, it's a win, 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 win for everyone involved. So just that little question of, is there any other events that I can be of service to you for? For them, it's a gold mine. That's big. And then the other thing that I thought was really uh, great for me is that post call where I say, is there anyone else that does what you do, who you think I might be a good fit for? Could you help me with an introduction? I like warm leads. I haven't, I haven't worked any cold leads uh, yet. It's all been warm leads. And so it's like, okay, can you introduce me to people there? Uh, what's really been amazing to me is when I tell people what I do, then they want to help and introduce me to people. And I'm thinking all these years, I wasn't really telling people what I do. They all knew me from TV work. And now I'm like, yeah, this is what I do. And even last night I was in an event and uh, a woman said, I didn't know that you did that. I'm like, yes, I do. You know, and she said, okay, well, let me think about this. I may have someone for you. 
All of our students, our successful students say the same thing. As, stu- as soon as they start leading with, oh, I'm a professional speaker. Oh, what do you speak about? I speak about X, Y, Z. Oh my gosh, I know someone that could use you. When we, when we don't share or when we say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a sales manager. And I, I also speak about sales. Well, they know you're getting paid for sales management. So they don't feel obligated to pay you to speak because you're bread and butter and you're feeding your family from the management part, not from the speaking. But when you say I'm a professional speaker and I speak to salespeople, well, now that's how you feed yourself, right? That's how, that's, that's what you do, that you're a professional speaker. And if you're a professional speaker, we're obligated to pay you for your expertise. So it's, it's a mind shift for the speaker, but it's also an energy shift for the people that you're speaking to. For sure. And even the event that I have coming up in January, the keynote, I asked for a number that couldn't quite reach that number. And he came back to me and said, here's what I can do. And it's only slightly less that he was able to offer me. And he said, but I can give you a stipend for your flight that's separate from your thing. I said, okay, great. That helps. Right. And then he said, and I have to have, you know, there's only going to be 51 people in this keynote. And I've spoken to 4,000 before it. So I said, okay, you know, but they're making a really significant investment in these 51 people. And he said, and I need you to know that every one of these people, it's from from all the states plus the Commonwealth, um, he said, every one of them does conferences in their own state. And he said, so I will help you with all of those people afterwards as long as you nail this. And so I I mean, I'm going to nail it. That's a score. Yeah, right. I'm going to nail it. And then after that, I'm going to try to get some of those people that were in the audience to hire me for the individual state. This is a national thing for the individual state things. And so it's like all of a sudden, Mary Alice, I see all these opportunities that I didn't see before where I'm like, oh, there's that. And I could try that. And yeah. Well, there's an eye-opening statement that Eric says, and many students have said it to me, but they're like, you know, I I thought I I would get, you know, gigs here and there and stuff. He goes, but then they all say, then Eric tells me there's 1500 events a day. I'm like, yeah, like think about that. And there's not that many speakers. Like it's still a very small industry. And so when you think about that, the opportunities are endless. And when you, when you're strategic, like you're being with that, that keynote, yeah. Okay. Maybe you're not going to get the five figures up front, but if they'll pay for your airfare, give you a stipend for this, that, and the other thing. But more importantly, you need to ask that question. Who's sitting in those chairs, right? When you find out that 51 people that could then be your next best five figure event are sitting in those chairs, that's, um, that's, that's making bank for one conference. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see if I can make that happen. And what I'm focused upon is knocking them out with the keynote. If I, if I knock them out with the keynote, if I knock them out with the keynote, then it's going to be fun. And then again, it'll, they'll go into the pipeline and it becomes that monopoly game, moving things over. And this is this. And yeah. You got to get on that stage with that chutzpah girl. You got to bring it out. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Why not me? Why not me? Of course. Of course. I mean, geez. I mean, it's just like a perfect, perfect setup for a win for many, many months and years to come because those 51 people know another five to 10 people. And then this just keep, this is where the business really starts to take off. 
Um, initially, yeah, there's cold calling. There's like reaching out to people who know you being like, hi, guess what I'm doing now? You know, and it might feel awkward, but you have to do it. But those, those are all, you're seeding that garden of your speaking business. And and the more you get on stage, the more that one person knows five people and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And, and like you said, a referral, a warm lead, nothing beats it. Nothing beats it. So yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, um, you're very impressive and I, it's just, it's such, it's so exciting to hear how you've implemented all of these steps. Um, you're not doing anything over the top. You're literally just following the program as it's been designed and laid out. And, uh, it's just so great to see the success that you're having. Um, there's a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now that are probably like, wow, and you should be, (laughs) but, um, they're sitting there and they're saying, I wish I had the audacity. You know, I I wish I could jump in. They have it. Yeah. So I want you to, I want you to just, you know, for a second, just speak to them about, you know, they're on the fence. They know about the speaker lab. They want to book that call with the enrollment advisor, but they're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. What would you say to that person who, who knows they want to do this, but they're doing all that. Not now, not me. Okay. So like what's, what's stopping them. It's actually part of one of my talks, right? Fear of what being embarrassed. Okay. I mean, if you, don't try, you actually won't know. And you're gonna be embarrassed and what in front of your cohort or other students who are in the same spot that you're in. Money, I understand, it's a big investment. It was a big investment for me too. That was why that was my first milestone was my goal is gonna be to make that money back. And as soon as I made that money back, everything else feels like gravy. Time, are you sure you don't have the time? I never got up at 4.30 in the morning before. But I, once I invested that time and said, this is just going to be for me, I love it. That's my coffee. And, and it is f- about me, for me, about me. As any mother, any working mother, any parent knows, it's rarely about you. I, I get up at 4.35 to 6 is about me, right? So we got money, time, and fear are three things that really hold people back. And then the fourth thing that holds people back is not knowing where to start. And that has been laid up for you now with the speaker lab. Here's where you start. You don't have to know anything before you join the speaker lab. And Mary Alice, I want to say one other thing. I've been so impressed with the cheerleader from you and Dan Ayala, who I signed up with and Eric Ream and Ravi, who's not even my coach. And, you know, like, you guys really do enjoy the success of your students. Totally. Yeah. Like I can't, I don't want to call my friends and be like, guess what? I just landed another five figure speaking gig, but I certainly call you. I certainly text Dan and I always get a response back like, Oh, and it's, it's just amazing to have this squad. And there's so many resources. That's the other thing I would want to tell people is that there's so many resources and opportunities and um, including the other students working with people who I've received messages and I've sent messages saying, hey, I'm stuck. Do you have a time to get on a call with another student? And we go back and forth. So you're well supported. Yeah, we uh, we really pride ourselves on content, coaching and community. Right. Um, and that's that's really critical for us because we want to make sure that not only do you have the content to be a skilled speaker, but to what we were just talking about, 
you also are a professional. And so you need to learn how to run that business in a way that's going to help it to continue to grow. And so of course, you know, that's the content, but the coaching just to have that support, to have coaches who have been there, done that, have been in the trenches of speaking, putting on events, speaking at events. And then the community, you know, we're one of the largest speaking communities out there of, of peers that are in there, in, in the trenches, doing it right along with you. And so no question is silly. No questions like, oh, that's ridiculous, right? Because they're all in it, you know? Um, and it, it's like that Think and Grow Rich book. You have to surround yourself with people, right? Um, because it does, it, it keeps you in the game. It keeps you motivated. Um, and it keeps all that little dark side ego stuff that's telling you, that's a stupid question. And then you find out five people are asking the same question. And you're like, I'm brilliant. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of affirmation about where you are. And so we pride ourselves on that. But yeah, it, this has been amazing. I know you're going to inspire so many people who listen to this. You've inspired us. Like our students inspire us to keep doing the work that we're doing. And so you're definitely one of them. We've talked about you a lot in meetings. I'm sure your ears have been buzzing. <laughs> Um, but we are, we're super proud of you. And we thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Oh, thank you. And we're not done yet. I've got a lot more to learn from you guys. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited that we're not done yet. Three months in, that's all. You have yeah. so much time. So excited. Thanks again, Amory. Thank you. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one -on -one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us, and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.